You're listening to the Historical Bookworm Show for lovers of history and readers of inspirational fiction. Join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews. Hi, this is Kylie Woodley and Darcy Fournier. Our guest today is a historical novelist who loves spinning tales that, at their core, hunt for beauty even when it isn't pretty. She's also a book editor published children's book author, and lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan with her family, two crazy cats, and a slightly eccentric Shetland sheepdog. Janair Trump, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a delight to be here. It's a delight having you. And today we're going to talk about our favorite Christmas stories. Now, I'm a huge fan of just Christmas in general. I love baking, gift giving, caroling, crafting, decorating, being around family and friends. I've even gone so far as to write and produce plays and force my children and nieces and nephews to act in them. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) What about you ladies? Do you ever catch the Christmas bug? I definitely do. I am a huge Christmas fan and I always have been. Like, I remember my family growing up, we would put up the Christmas tree, we would go find our Christmas tree, we would put it up, and then we would all fight about our favorite ornaments to put on the tree. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then my, I'm the middle kid. So I'm there was four of us and I was third. And my older siblings every year somehow figured out a way to make it so that would be the one who did not get to put the cool Christmas order on the Christmas tree. And so as an oldest child, I can tell you, you got to watch those oldest. They scheme sometimes. (laughs) And then when it came to be my year, suddenly they decided that the ornaments were too ratty to actually go on the Christmas tree. Seriously, true story. So now I am like, And they were these beautiful birds. So my tree now, guess what's all over my tree? (laughs) These beautiful birds. (laughs) Yes. And we make cookies and candy. In fact, my son and I just today made peppermint bark, which is amazing. White chocolate and crushed up candy canes. And it is amazing. So totally huge Christmas fan. Well, peppermint and chocolate were made for each other. I don't care if it's white chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, they were made for each other. So yeah, yeah, totally with you there. Now, Christmas is my favorite holiday, unashamedly. I basically start counting down in February. Yeah, I used to love annoying my Facebook friends by posting regular updates on the 25th of every month. I would be like, oh, there's so-and-so months left till Christmas. Yeah, I don't know what my favorite thing about it is, but maybe it's the lights. I just, the lights at night are so pretty. I love colored lights, but where I live in St. Augustine now, they do the historic district downtown in white lights, just all over the place. They wrap the palm trees because we're in Florida. They line the historic buildings and stuff. It's just amazing. You go down there at night and you can see just fine. It's so beautiful. And uh, I don't know, the serious side of me really leans into how Jesus is the light of the world and the lights representing that. So yeah, lights and candles may possibly be my favorite thing about Christmas, but... I totally agree. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love it. And I love people coming together. That's the other thing I love about Christmas. Yes, oh, yeah. seeing the people that you don't get a chance to see as much as you, you know. Yeah, definitely. And are there any classic Christmas stories that just 
I don't know, maybe really speak to you or that made an impression on you in your childhood? Yeah. Uh, So for me, one of them that I always loved, it's kind of a shorter story. It's the best Christmas pageant ever. Um, Do you guys, are you familiar with that one? I'm not. I'm not. Tell us about this. Okay, so they're actually they do plays about it quite a bit. So it's a kid's book and it's shorter. And I remember reading it as a kid and it's about this family that's like the outcast of the church. And the church puts on this Christmas program and these outcast kids are trying to find their place inside the pageant. And it's just this beautiful story that's absolutely hilarious. I know, right? About these kids trying to find their place. And they're out of they're out of sync with everything. They don't know how to do anything. And that's where all of the, the kind of the humor comes in, is they're kind of fumbling their way through all of these Christian eccentricities that we have during Christmas. So it's kind of poking fun a little bit at the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say it, but there's definitely a little room for the fun poking, what you know? I'm saying, uh, and it's not mean. It's just, oh, yeah, I recognize that. Uh huh. Yep, that yep, is uh, one yeah. that I have always really loved. And I had so much fun when my kids were younger reading that one to them and watching them laugh. And then, even though it's not really technically a Christmas story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is always something that speaks <gasps> yes. to me. I just little Lucy. She's my favorite. Her big siblings were always mean to her and I totally identified with that. (laughs) But that's always long been one of my favorite stories. And I just, I don't know, I just relate that always to Christmas just with the underlying themes of what happens in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Aslan kind of representing Jesus. And I think it's just a gorgeous story for this time of year. And Father Christmas does make an appearance in the first book or in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So, And I have to tell you, in Michigan, I do feel like by February, I do feel like it is winter all the time and never Christmas. (laughs) I believe it. Believe it. Oh, but that's cool. I never thought about Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe being a Christmas story, but that fits so well. And Mm -hmm. I'm a huge Narnia enthusiast, so I love that. What about you, Darcy? What stories are special to you? Kylie knows this one's coming because I talk (laughs) about it all the time. A Christmas Carol by Charles Mm -hmm. Dickens. My mom used to read it out loud to us every Christmas. So she would either start around December 1st and read a chapter every few days, or sometimes we would start late. And so she'd cram it all into one or two nights. And so we'd read by the Christmas tree and it was just so much fun. I love the story so much, partly because it's hilarious. The way Charles Dickens writes, he just, he sketches these characters and you can see them and you are dying laughing because it's so perfect. And he's got such a dry sense of humor. It's amazing. And each little scene is so meaningful and perfect. Like he he really took his time with every Mm -hmm. bit of it, even though it's a short story. But it just, it captures what Christmas is and that it takes this man who was jaded as a child and lost so much that even though he's had good things in his life, eventually made up his mind that he's all on his own. He, There's nobody to live for but himself and his money. And so that's what he's done. And now he's old. And we all know that most of the time, once you get older, you're set in your ways. But it's not too late for him even. And the magic that it can happen at Christmas time when everyone's 
trying to be at least a little bit happier and our hearts are a little bit more open. It's, I don't know, the themes are so meaningful to me. On the one hand, it's such fun for me to read because because it's hilarious, but also it's it's very powerful because it's like you're it's never too late. You can start right now doing what God created you to do. I love that story. Try to read it every year. And sometimes I just pick it up and open it in the middle of the book and read a scene because it's fun. I love it. It's like an old friend. Did you know that Alison Pittman did a devotional? I think it's an Advent devotional on A Christmas Carol. I need this. I need you this do. so it's much. It's really well done. It's really because she's an English teacher. So she like was all over it. It's a really great book. I'm totally getting that. Thank you for that recommendation. I love that. I think that my like stories from my childhood would be actually Miracle on 34th Street, but by Valentine Davies, uh, the novella. And then we had this little golden book when I was a kid. It was called <laughs> The Cat That Climbed the Christmas Tree. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's probably for like eight-year-olds, but I love it. And I read it to my kids now. And it's where the cat like goes to the tree and sees all of the the different, like the soldiers and the sugar plum fairies and all these Christmas items. And then she's trying to get to the top of the Christmas tree where the angel is. And then she finally gets to see the angel and then she's scared and she doesn't know how to get down. And then all of the ornaments that she met going up there, like help her down. And one of them had a sled and I don't know. I I just thought it was so cute. I always remember that at Christmas time. <laughs> Golden books are amazing. I love that whole series. Me too. Let's take a little time now to talk about some newly released Christian Christmas historical books. Janair, what have you read recently that you felt was really good? So in the historical genre, on that Christmas side. So you guys mentioned that I am an editor by trade. So I get to read a lot of books before everybody else does. I, I'm a little bit jealous. First first pick on these really cool stories. But, I know. Um, it, it's, but it's funny because then I lose track of when books actually release because I'm working on them a year and a half, sometimes even two years in advance. But one of the books that released, and that this is where this that comment comes in because I think it was a year ago, but it might have been two years ago. <laughs> I lose track. I don't even know what year it is right now. But is Joy to the World. It's a novella collection with Carolyn Miller and Amanda Barrett and Erica Vetch. And it's a little novella collection and they're all Regency era, which I honestly don't typically read. If I'm being fully honest with you, that is has historically not been my genre of choice. But Carolyn Miller years ago converted me and I have, I edited the book, but I actually started reading back through it again, not that long ago, because it's a different experience to read something as a reader than to read it as an editor. It's a totally different experience. And it was fun to just jump into these characters. Two of the three books were up for, I think they were up for Christie's, the novellas when it released. And just to go back in and enjoy the depth of character that these women put into such short books. It's really hard to write a novella, y'all, and make them have depth. And they were just so much fun. That is cool. I love that they're Regency era because, I mean, with a name like Darcy, I'm going to obviously have a connection to Jane Austen. Mine that I was going to talk about is actually Regency as well. It's An Ivy Hill Christmas by Julie Klassen. And yes, it was released in 2020. 20- 
20. So not very old, just a couple years. And I actually read it for the first time this year. I've had it on my shelf, I think, since it came out and finally got around to reading it. And I love the way she captured the small town of Ivy Hill and the way that they celebrate Christmas. It's funny because the small town vibe is, even though it's 200 years ago, it's similar to what you see today in the way things are very traditional and everybody knows everybody else. And you don't have a lot of secrets in a small town. So I really enjoyed that. It was funny because... As you start, the hero is not the most heroic of characters, but it was actually really cool to see him grow and watch his heart open up And as he came to terms with things over the Christmas season. And it was also, for me, super cool to see how they celebrated it because Christmas, is, as we know it today, is very much based in Victorian England. So Regency area would have been a little bit before that. So as a history nerd, I really enjoyed all of that. It is so much fun. That's one of the things that I have begun to really enjoy about the Regency novels is they're so well researched in the Christian market. They have done such a good job of infusing that history. And it is, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing about Jane Austen is because she was writing contemporary novels for her time. There's not a ton of detail about the life that and how life worked back then, actually. So reading these modern written Regency set novels has actually given me a lot of information when I go back and read the Jane Austen's classics. It's like, oh, that's why she wrote that, because that's how society worked. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting point, Darcy. I hadn't thought of that. So <clears throat> a more recent book that I've read, I actually have a couple. <laughs> So I really loved A Texas Christmas Carol by Karen Wittemeyer. I read that last year, but I saw that she had a second edition come out, I think. And oh, and then we interviewed her on episode 23 for that. And Scrooge was just such a fascinating character. He was, especially for a romance. So I just really loved how that story unfolded and the way that like the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future came and just really well done. I also read A Christmas Promise, a Victorian Christmas novella by Gabrielle Meyer. And yes, that was just really well done. It's actually like the hero and hero and their mothers had a pact that they should marry. And there's this deadline and they like, if you believe in falling in love quickly, that's this is the book for you. And if you don't, this is still the book for you because it's just so well done. They fall in love over just a few days. <laughs> and While Mortals Sleep by Janair Trump. This is part of the Oh Little Town novella set, which includes books by Amanda Wynn and Deborah Rainey. The collection has been described as a charming collection of novellas. Join three generations of Mapleview, Michigan, residents longing for love and finding it on the most wonderful night of the year. And since our show is all about historical stories, we're going to go ahead and take a peek at Daenerys' story while mortals sleep. And I get to read the blurb, so... While World War II rages overseas, news reporter Eleanor Swears returns home to Mapleview to face the repercussions of the death of her sister and her nightmare of Christmas's past. But the home front isn't as far from the war as she thought. A bomb has landed in the middle of the U.S. Now Eleanor and family friend Gideon Brown may have to choose between the scoop of a lifetime and the love of a lifetime. So in this heartwarming 
compilation, three talented authors bring us the perfect blend of small town nostalgia and holiday warmth, as timeless as the notes of a favorite carol, and as softly luminous as lights twinkling on an evergreen tree. That is what Amanda Barrett had to say about this book thing and I just started reading it. <laughs> I'm wondering what was the most challenging thing for you in the process of writing your novella? So I think we hit on it just a little bit already. You guys, I write historical novels, so I'm a huge, huge history buff. So this novella, one of the little historical nuggets that is in this book is that the Japanese bombed the United States hundreds of times during World War II. Continental United States, y'all. And they actually, which most people don't know, which blows my mind, totally flipped out when I heard about this. The Japanese sent these big balloons. They were 33 feet in diameter, made out of mulberry paper. They launched them from Japan and attached to them were these bombs. And they were incendiaries meant to cause fires and then anti-personnel. So basically shrapnel. They sent these balloons up into what we now know as the jet stream. And sent them across to the United States. And a bunch of them fell, like some fell in Hawaii, some in the ocean. But most of them hit the West Coast of the United States up through Canada and Alaska. But they scattered across the United States as far east as Detroit, Michigan. I had no clue they made it that far. I knew that they hit the West Coast and started some fires. The government tried to keep that on the down low. So... I hadn't, I didn't realize they made it that far east. Yep. And so one actually landed 10 minutes from my house. Like I have walked the field where this balloon landed and the government came, these boys found it after school and the government came and swooped it up and the community got it back after the war. And it literally is sitting in a big wooden box at a historical museum about a mile from my house. Oh, wow. Um, I know. And so there's all this super cool history encapsulated in that. There's, you guys, there's a made up language that the scientists use to write about all of this. And that's why the U.S. didn't know about it. And like, no lie. Like, there's all that I wanted to like shove into a novel. And I had between 25 and 35,000 words. As it's published, it's 42,000 words. (laughs) You just couldn't quite keep it all contained. And i that's crazy. Wow. What a premise. Yeah. So it's this, and it's, I had so much fun creating these characters. And if you read my books, I, people describe my books as lyrical suspense, which is like this weird mashup that totally fits my style. So I'm very character driven in the suspensey kind of vibe. And so it's really hard to write that short. Can I just say that? It was so hard because I didn't want to lose my characters and I didn't want to lose the history and I didn't want to lose the plot. And my publisher was like, yeah, you're right. We can't lose any of those parts. Here's the words. But that was very stressful because I was sweating bullets trying to figure out how I was going to cut a third of my book basically out. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get an idea when you're writing a story and then you do the research and then it takes you places and you realize the story is growing bigger than you thought it was. Yeah, I can totally understand that. But I'm glad that it made it to print because this sounds really cool. Yeah, it was super fun to write. And Gideon is 
I call him this. He's in the book. He's a big, huge teddy bear. He's this enormous guy and he is just sweet and kind and the staunchest ally you could ever have in a person. And honestly, after I wrote it, I looked back and he reminds me, my son is not a big guy and he's 14. But now that I'm like describing him, he totally described, he's totally my son and my husband in a lot of ways. They're these gentle people who, if you mess with their people, they will take you down. Make no mistake. They will go head to head with you. And they're just the sweetest. They're the best people, the beta character, but just sweet and kind. And he was so much fun to write. Oh, that's cool. And that's so fun that he was like accidentally inspired by your son and your husband. Yeah. What special things do the characters do to celebrate Christmas in Homefront World War II? Right. So World War II is much different than Regency. A lot of the ways that they celebrated would look similar to how we celebrated, especially in the States. Overseas was different because they had a lot more restrictions Mm -hmm. on electricity and they just didn't have access the way we did, even to telephones. That's a whole nother research wackadoodle thing that I had to look up to make sure that houses in the U.S. during this time frame in a small town would have telephones mm-hmm. in this area. That was, so it's like random things that you have to look up. But so they pick out a Christmas tree just like we would in this area, at least. The Christmas trees are pretty readily available up here still, and they were back then. And But they didn't decorate as far in advance as we did. But they would, do, and they did a lot more homemade ornaments. They, in the oh, little town in in my book, While Mortal Sleep, they string popcorn. That's one of the things they do to decorate the tree, which I did as a kid. And we ate more of the popcorn than went on the string, which is also the case for my characters in the book. Um, Gotta make it realistic, you know. No, I mean, come on. Why waste good popcorn by putting it on a Christmas tree? <laughs> It just gets stale anyway. And actually, so my female character, her name is Eleanor, but she goes by Lenny because she's a reporter out on the West Coast who's come home because her sister passed away and she's trying to, she's the executor of the will and is trying to figure things out. And she's, her sister has a little girl and so it's complicated and Gideon is helping her. And so Lenny is in this, I hate Christmas mode. To a certain extent, because Christmas has never been nice to her. Her, This is a theme. Her older siblings were not nice to her. (laughs) This keeps getting into the stories. I wonder. Uh, And I didn't think about it until I'm just laughing just now that this is the case. Um, I'm going to make sure that my next Christmas book, that doesn't happen just for the (laughs) Um, But so, but they made Christmas miserable for her. But Gideon her friends throughout that whole time. And so there are little snippets of memory that come up that are good and positive that Gideon was always there for her. He gives her a penny when they were little because Lenny, Eleanor collects coins and she doesn't realize until later that it it was a valuable penny. And it was his way of saying, and he, when he gives it to her, he says, most people think pennies aren't worth anything. Sometimes they are. And he gives it to her. And it's his way of telling her that she's worth something to him. And he sees value in her when other people don't. And that's a huge theme through the book is that God cares for us no matter what. No matter who we are, no matter where we go, God is there and cares for us. And Lenny 
has to find that for herself and she has to accept it just because God offers it and other people offer that love to us doesn't mean that we accept it and actually do something with it and live our lives with that frame of mind in mm. that freedom. That's a oh, that's a very important theme these days, I feel like. Ah uh, yes. <laughs> wow. Oh, this sounds so cool. What kind of writerly things are you doing in the future? Any more Christmas stories or something else coming up? I am working on editing a book that I don't have a contract for quite yet, but it in theory it is coming. And it takes place during World War II in the country of Burma. So it was Burma then, it's Myanmar now. And what most people don't know is that there were more theaters in World War II than the European theater and the Pacific theater. Mm -hmm. There was a theater known as the CBI, which is China, Burma, India. And that was the Japanese trying to take over mainland Asia. Yes. I watched a documentary about World War II and they were focusing on somewhat on the British's the British fight in Burma and it was very fascinating because yeah most of the time it skimmed over yeah absolutely it is and one of the big things that happened Merrill's marauders were British and they were coming in and behind the scenes but what a lot of people don't know is that the OSS the U.S. behind the scenes the all of the people who ran in the European theater all of the uh, the agents through Europe also ran agents in Burma. So the OSS airdropped agents into Burma, into the mountains of Burma, and recruited the mountain people to fight for the allies. And they were very willing to do it because the missionaries were in the mountains of Burma. And all the people that had been ejected from China during the Shogun era, and they just moved across the border into the mountains of Burma. So they are mostly, the mountain people of Burma are mostly known as Christians in, even to this day, they are Christians. And so when the allies dropped in, they talked to the missionaries and the missionaries were like, yes, we'll introduce you to all of the leaders. And they worked very closely with the allies and they were instrumental in keep preventing the Japanese from taking over mainland Asia. And a lot of the U.S. special forces techniques were taken from the warriors in the mountains of Burma. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Oh, yeah. Right? So my thing is, okay, wait a minute. If there were all these missionaries in the mountains when the Japanese came through, what happened to their families? Um, and so this is a book that takes a look at one of the kids of the missionaries that was in Burma when the Japanese came through and witnessed the destruction of the Japanese and her faith falls apart. And what do you do with that? With all of those atrocities, how do you come back? How do you find your faith after tragedy? Which is a really hard, and it sounds super dark, and, and it is to a certain extent, but I'm also somebody who's very careful not to abuse my readers because I've experienced trauma myself in my background. And so I always walk that line, but I'm always very careful to make sure that I'm not re-abusing my, my, my readers. But it's a fascinating story and I love it. And I actually, that was the first book I ever wrote. Oh, wow. Well, I look forward to it, getting a contract and heading for press. This is going to be a great story. Yep. Yep. So I'm super excited for it. And yeah, we'll see. It's been interesting to go back because I released a book 
in addition to Oh Little Town, I actually released three books in a year's time. Oh, wow. Which was crazy. But my technical debut released in April. And so I wrote that one after the Burma book. And so I'm going back and I'm like, oh, I did grow, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought I would have to rewrite the whole thing and I was pleasantly surprised. So yeah, Yeah, always nice to discover that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounds like just a fascinating story idea and I look forward to seeing it in print someday, Lord willing. And for our listeners, Janner has been so gracious to offer a copy of the entire novella collection, Oh Little Town. To enter to win, just check out our giveaway page at historicalbookworm.com, or you can find the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, Janier, where can our listeners learn more about you? I always tell people, if you can spell my name, you can find me, because I'm Janier Trump everywhere. So my website is Janier Trump. I am Janier Trump on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest, pretty much anywhere you can think of. I have at least I'm trying to have a presence to find my readers out there. So I'm going to spell my name just so you can find me. If you're listening, it's J-A-N-Y-R-E-T-R-O-M-P. So it's once you've got it, you've got it. All right. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been a lot of fun just chatting with you. Thank you so much. It is so much fun to talk about books. I will do it all day long. (laughs) If you are dying to read a good Christian historical Christmas story, we have our Christmas recommendation book list of over 30 Christmas stories written by historical Christian authors. You can find that with the show notes for this episode, but also on our website, historicalbookworm.com. All you have to do to enter to win is sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter, historicalbookworm.com. Every week, one subscriber is entered to win a copy of the book by whichever author we are interviewing on the show. You've been listening to the Historical Bookworm Show, where history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.